scripture reading today is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then, And the the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. One of the best questions that the students ask me, not literally ask me, but a question that keeps coming up during youth group each week, How do we apply the scriptures to our lives? What does it mean for this text in my life? Sometimes I don't do a very good job of finding that meaning. I don't do enough work. I don't think about their situations and their relationships. What stresses them? I don't consider their busyness. And their true desire is to be Christ's disciples. But I hope that this is a question that we get to answer today. Because we're reading a parable that almost all of us know. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Students, I'm sorry if I don't do this often enough. I hope to do more in the future. Before we begin, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for blessing us so that we can bless others. Lord, David is only able to sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, because he had first been blessed. We are your people. We know the blessing that has come to us from Christ. Lord, may our lives be an outpouring of that blessing that we have already received. Lord, we pray for Miss Janet. Lord, we thank you that her scan came back and the cancer had not grown. 
Lord, we pray for continual strength for her, for knowledge for her and John on their decision going forward. Lord, we pray to you because you do have the power to save her. You do work in your creation. Lord, please bless her. Lord, we lift up Jeff Myers in the passing of his father. Be with his family. May we, your church, be loving to him, fulfilling the needs that he has physically, emotionally, spiritually. Be with him and Jenny as they grieve the loss of his father. Lord, we pray for Mr. Billy. We are thankful that he's here. We pray that you continually give him strength. Lord, we are thankful for Mr. Jim on his birthday week. We thank you that he comes to all of our gatherings and puts up with all of our children running around. Lord, we pray for Christ Presbyterian Church. As there's many of us that are traveling this week or will be traveling, please keep us safe. And Lord, as we go from hearing your word preached and partaking of your sacrament, I pray that we will go and engage your world. A world that is lost in sin. May we be a light to them, bringing forth the kingdom of God. Father, I pray for Fayette County. Lord, I pray for the other churches in this county. May they be truthful to the gospel. May they proclaim that only through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus do we have a hope to share with the world. We pray for the schools in this state, for private, public, and even those that are homeschooled. Lord, may these children be treated with dignity and respect as image bearers, not as partial people. but as students who radiate the glory of our Creator. We pray for those teachers. Lord, give them grace. Give them patience. Give them love. Lord, we pray for our country. Lord, may we submit to the authorities that have been put over us, but may we pray for them that your will will be done. May they seek guidance from the scriptures, for that is how we know what justice and mercy are. Lord, we pray for this world. James tells us that true religion is a religion that cares for orphans and widows. We pray for those who are alone whose families have been broken from divorce, from death, from disease. Lord, you are good. You are loving. 
Help us love those around us. In the name of Christ, amen. As I said earlier, this passage is a passage that I'm sure all of us know, the passage of the Good Samaritan. But what's hard about this passage, and I just remembered I didn't do the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to backtrack because it's very important that we pray the Lord's Prayer. So please pray with me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Not only is that the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, but in two weeks, that will be our passage that we take up in Luke. But as I said, the Good Samaritan is a story that most of us know. Most of us know the overarching question of the Good Samaritan that the lawyer asks Jesus. Who is my neighbor? But sometimes we get lost and think that that's the only question that the lawyer asks, when in reality, that's actually the second question that the lawyer asks. And in all honesty, I wanted to start the sermon with a funny joke, something witty, short and sweet, because this passage starts with, and behold, a lawyer stood up. And you can just imagine the eye rolls of all the people around them. But then I realized we have so many lawyers here, I didn't want to offend all of them. So instead, I decided, what does this text mean for us? And you might think, as a pastor, I love coming to well-known texts because my week might be easier. But in fact, the opposite is true. Well-known texts are actually harder to preach because we all think we already know what it says. We think the main point of this parable is the lawyer asking the question, who is my neighbor? And by itself, that is a good question. But then if we look at the text, we see the intent of the lawyer's question. In the first verse, well, in verse 25, we see a lawyer stood up to put him, to put Jesus to the test. And he asks him, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And again, by itself, that is a good question. We see this question asked in Matthew 19, in Mark 10, and then again in Acts 16. But what is the intent of the lawyer? Then we look at his intent. Verse 25, he wanted to test him. And then in verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. And what we find is that we have something in common with this lawyer. After looking at these two questions, I disagree with most commentators who say the first question is a good question, the second one is a bad one. 
if we look at the intent, they are both bad questions. The lawyer intends to skew the nature of the law. The the lawyer, although trying to find out what it means or what he has to do to inherit eternal life, is at the same time trying to fulfill the law on his own effort. What must I do? What shall we do? Do you find yourselves asking that question sometimes in your prayers? Sometimes when you read scripture, it'd be a lot easier to say, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Just give me a checklist so that I can do it. But then we see what this lawyer does next. He asks the question, who is my neighbor? And when I come to Jesus, I do the same thing because what I want to do is I want to make the law small so that I have to do the bare minimum to seek my own justification. As we read earlier, the moral law of God binds us to perfect, personal, and perpetual, and if you're a Tennessee grad, that means continual, obedience. And then we, be, then we are overwhelmed by the weight of it. What shall we do? Because what we realize in this question, when we ask this question, We've forgotten what the gospel is. When we ask that question and we're trying to justify ourselves before a holy God, we are forgetting that the gospel is not dependent upon what we do, but is dependent upon the work and life of Jesus, what he has done for us. In the men's Bible study, we've been studying the book of Galatians, and they are kind of becoming experts in the law, being taught by a lawyer. And in Galatians 2, 15 to 16, Paul says, we know, what a, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Like someone who looks into a mirror and forgets what they look like. We seem always to be returning to a life of saying we believe in Jesus. But this morning I need to do something to earn his love. I need to do a great work so that I can go to him and say look at what I have done. But when we do that we actually become the lawyer in the story. Seeking to test Jesus. Seeking to justify ourselves. As Blake said this past week in men's Bible study, what the lawyer does with the second question is that he makes it smaller and smaller and smaller because it gives us more power. But what happens when we make the law small is we make the work of Christ small. 
now that we've looked at the intent of these two questions, let's look at the context of this passage. And just one quick pastoral plea. Please bring your Bibles. Um, We do these scripture sheets so that you'll have the scripture. But as I tell all of our students, context is king. Every time I open my Bible and I read a passage, I will always go to what's before it and what's after it. When you have a scripture sheet, you lose the context of the passage. If you don't understand the context of the passage, you cannot know what the passage means. If you need a Bible, we will give you a Bible. Um, So with that um, side note, let's continue. In Luke 10, 23-24, Jesus has just been speaking to the disciples privately, telling them that they are blessed. Why are they blessed? Because Jesus has revealed himself to them. God the Father had previously hidden his will to the wise and understanding. But Jesus Jesus has chosen them to reveal himself. Jesus has now turned to face Jerusalem. He's going to die for his people. And Jesus has just sent his disciples ahead of them, ahead of him, to proclaim that the kingdom is coming near. And we come to our passage, we have a parable. Some commentators call this a law parable used for teaching. And this teaching, I don't know if you know this, this parable is only found in Luke's gospel. But for us to understand this passage, we must understand God's law. We don't have to be an expert of the law like this lawyer is. We don't have to be an expert of the law like Jesus is. Because in Luke 24, it says that Jesus uncovered all of the scriptures, what was concerning to him. But because Jesus asks the lawyer the question, how do you read it? How do you read the law? How do you interpret the law? If we don't understand what the law is for, if we don't understand Jesus' question, we actually can't understand what the parable is about. Let us look at the passage. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. The lawyer asked a loaded question. Jesus, being a teacher, responds with a question. What is written in the law? Jesus answers the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He tells them everything that's written in the law. The lawyer knew this. He's an expert at the law. He actually answers Jesus' question correctly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. The first four Ten Commandments teach us how to love God. The last six of the Ten Commandments teach us how, how to love our neighbor. 
this is how you keep the whole law. Just do all the Ten Commandments. When Jesus answered the Pharisee in Matthew 22, he wasn't the first one to coin, love God and love others. He's quoting the law. The lawyer knew the law. But the problem with the lawyer is he didn't believe in the law. He knew it, but he didn't believe it. Because in Old Testament history, when was the law given? All the women that go to the Bible study can answer this. Remember, the law was given in Exodus 20. What happened in Exodus 12 to 14? God redeemed his people out of Egypt. You see, God gives his people the law after they are already redeemed. The lawyer doesn't have to keep the law to inherit eternal life. The lawyer has already received it if he believes in the Messiah, if he believes in the promises of God. In Exodus 20, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am God, I have redeemed you. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. The lawyer just didn't believe in the history of redemption. He didn't believe that he didn't have to do the works for God to love him, but that God already loved him. This past week I overheard the women in the Bible study say that Courtney Dr. the lady who wrote the Bible study, that the Exodus is the greatest picture of God's redemption for his people apart from the cross. What we see over and over again in the Old Testament is that Israel has already been redeemed by God's power, yet they don't believe it and they continue to try to receive salvation by works, not by faith. They got caught up in the different laws and they forgot who they were. And we do the same thing. We forget who we are. We forget that we do not fulfill the law to be saved, but we fulfill the law because we have been set free from the law. Once we have faith, the Holy Spirit produces in us His fruit. We follow the law because the law is God's revelation of how God loves us. We follow the moral law because the law makes us like Jesus. But we don't do it in order to be saved. We do it because we already are saved. If you don't believe in God's promises, the law is a heavy burden. But if you believe in the gospel, Jesus has lifted that yoke. Paul says in Galatians 2.21, For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And this is what we do when we forget the gospel. When we try to justify ourselves, we in turn are saying, Christ died for no purpose. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, 
and you will live. If you want to be justified by the law, go and do it. But our response should have, our response is what the lawyer should have done. Jesus, we cannot do it. Please save us. Because I've tried to love my children every single day, and I can't do it. I try to love my neighbor, literally my neighbor, and I can't do it under my own power. I can only fulfill the law if God has already redeemed me. For those who do not believe in the gospel, much like this lawyer, the law should make them turn and look for a savior. For those who do believe in the gospel, do this and you will live. Is the sound of the gospel, for we have already been made alive in Christ. His commands are no longer harsh, but they are a path unto our feet. Well, now that we are experts in the law, we understand what Jesus is trying to say to this lawyer. Now let's try to interpret this parable. Because if you remember, at Luke 8.10, Jesus says, To you it was, has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others there are parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Later in Luke 12, Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Jesus told the parables to two different people. The first people were the disciples, the one that believed in the promises of God. The second he told to those who didn't understand, this lawyer. And we find the lawyer's next question, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, he did it again. He wants to make the law small so that he can justify himself. Not understanding what the law was for, Jesus tells him this parable. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed to the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set, sent him, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three did, do you think provided to prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go. And do likewise.
what stood out to you this time? After understanding the purpose of the law, Jesus' first answer, what stands out now? Did the lawyer receive good news? Or did the lawyer receive bad news? Well, the lawyer really received the same answer. The first answer was, do this, all that's in the law, and you will live. Jesus' second answer, you go and do likewise. You see, the, the, law, the lawyer knew the law. He knew to be justified by it. He had to do everything. But that Jesus, just as what he did on the Sermon on the Mount, he expanded the law. So this Jewish lawyer no longer has to just love his family, his friends, those he works with, those he goes to synagogue with. Now he has to love every single person he comes into contact with. Go and do likewise. What should have been the lawyer's response? Nobody can do that. This parable proves the same point that the law proves. To be able to fulfill God's calling in this creation, you must do all the law, or you must be saved by the one who fulfills the law. He knew he could not love his neighbor. We know we cannot love our neighbor under our own strength. We know that we cannot love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. The law is heavy, and we need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot even save our neighbor. We do not know how to show mercy unless we are first shown mercy. So what's the point of the priest and the Levite? Well, both of these men would have represented the leadership of the Jewish community. Uh, it says in verse 30, they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jerusalem is where the temple was. The priest and the Levite were people ordained to work in the temple. So these two men have just gotten out of church and are headed to Jericho when they see someone half dead. And they don't fulfill their duty. Because in Leviticus 19.33-34, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Did you hear that? Did you hear Exodus 20? The order is different, but redemptive history is the same. He is the Lord their God. He redeemed them out of Egypt. Therefore, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the least likely character a lawyer could have imagined. A Samaritan, a half-breed, someone who didn't even worship in the temple with them anymore. If you look back at Luke 9, 51 and 56, 
Jesus goes to the Samaritans, and John and James ask, since they didn't believe, if they should curse fire to come down upon them. This is what the Jews think of the Samaritans. Now, some interpreters, as far back as Augustine or Augustine, have interpreted this passage in a spiritual sense, forcing us to say, Jesus is the Samaritan in the story, and we are the ones in the ditch. And I must confess, this interpretation is appealing. But I think it's too small. Because Jesus is far better than the Good Samaritan. We were not just nearly dead. We were completely dead when Jesus found us. Jesus is far better. Because he didn't just carry us somewhere to be tended by someone else. But he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us because what God commands of us, we cannot do on our own. The Samaritan didn't enable this man to fulfill the law. But God in his love and mercy came to us, brought us to life, and filled us with the Holy Spirit. And it is out of this gospel love that we are able to love God and love others. It is out of the gospel love that we are able to show mercy. It is out of gospel love that we are able to uphold the law, and the law becomes a lamp unto our feet. Only when we believe in the gospel, when we have faith in the promises of God, does the law be lifted. We've seen the depths of our sin. We've seen what sin does in our lives and the lives of others. If you truly look at your life, you will understand you cannot earn your salvation. It is only in believing in the gospel that God has redeemed you that we're able to turn and fulfill the law. Once you believe in the gospel, then and only then can you truly love your neighbor. And our, our society loves this parable. Whether you vote blue or vote red, everyone sees value in this. They love the idea that Jesus commands, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is telling us, love everyone. And this is what Jesus is telling the lawyer and his disciples, that they are supposed to love their neighbor. They are supposed to show mercy to their neighbor. But what our society gets wrong, and what they don't like about this parable, and with why they don't understand this parable is that they don't understand the law. You see, that's why I spent so much time. If you don't understand the law, you don't understand this passage. Because our society wants to say the New Testament is about love, the Old Testament is about the law and hatred and condemnation. The Old Testament is about an unloving God 
The New Testament is about a loving God. The Old Testament is about curses. The New Testament is about love thy neighbor as yourself. But what they don't understand is what the scriptures teach us is that true love is fulfilling the law. The law tells us to love others. They're not separated. You have to have them together. What Jesus has revealed to the lawyer in this passage is that to love someone is fulfilling the law given to Moses. The scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, teach love with standards. Our society doesn't want that. They want us to love everyone, no matter what they look like, no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter what they think. And we are to love all people. But we get love from God through the standards of God. Because the standards of God are who Jesus really is. Paul Tripp uses this same concept, but not with our neighbor, but he refers it to parenting. He says, no parent gives mercy better than the one who's convinced that he desperately needs it himself. That is how we love our neighbor. We have been shown mercy. And now the overflow of the mercy that we have been given in the gospel of Jesus. Are we able to love people who hate us? To be able to love someone who actually does us wrong. Who is your neighbor? Jesus has just expanded that. Your neighbor is everyone that you see. Everyone that you pass by. Everyone you Snapchat. Everyone you like their Facebook post. We are supposed to love them and be merciful to them. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And I'll end with this because I'm coming up on John time. Um, There is also a racial and religious undertone to this passage. For an Israelite to speak to a Samaritan, they would have thought it to be unclean. They would have never associated. They would have never thought of Jesus' story. In that time, it would have been actually pretty common for there to be stories about a priest or a Levite to mess up. But then what usually happened was a normal Jew would come and save the day. But Jesus doesn't use that formula. He uses a Samaritan. So we must ask ourselves, who's the most unlikely person that we're going to have to love? How do we love those who have a different skin color? us? How do we love those who speak a different language than us? Or even, how do we love a Muslim? How do we love a Hindu? Maybe even more common for our day, how will we love and show mercy to an atheist? 
God has expanded the law for us. It's not burdensome. We do it out of a heart filled by the Holy Spirit. He will ask us to give up our time and our money to help them. Are we willing to do what God calls us to do and love our neighbor? You will only find the strength to do it through the gospel of Jesus. And we come to the Lord's table.